everyone and welcome to the Jay Martin Show. This is Jesse Day from Commodity Culture, temporarily stepping in for Jay. And today's guest is a prominent uranium investor and marketing consultant in the junior mining space, as well as being the host of the Next Big Rush YouTube channel. Fabi Lara, good to see you. Hey, Jesse. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on the show to dive into uranium, but also the broader commodities complex and energy as well. But one thing that I really want to start things off with and talk to you about is the elections in Brazil, because you are from Brazil. You have been keeping your ear to the ground over there. And before we started recording here, you were saying that the protests against the election are getting so massive and out of control that it could actually cause the elected president to step down. Did you want to maybe walk us through that situation, what you're seeing there, and um, how you think it's going to impact the country overall? Sure. So at first, when I first saw that people were protesting, my understanding and belief um, as a Brazilian was that the the pres the current president Bolsonaro that is being ousted throughout you know um, democratic elections um, has sort of um, a section of his electorate that's um, extremely passionate. Let's just put it this way. And so I expected them to um, cry about the election results if they were negative, and I expected them to, you know, uh, in one way or another, try to uh, not accept the results. And so at first, when people started to say that there were frauds, uh, fraud allegations regarding the election results, I did not believe them whatsoever. Um, however, it has come to light that there are um, a lot of inconsistencies with um, the actual election results. So one of the things that's being brought to light is that um, there have been several, and, and several, I, I really mean it, um, ballot machines. In Brazil, we don't do paper voting. We use machines, which is in and of itself something that should be looked into because um, there aren't many countries that do it. And it's a belief or we of whether you, you believe or not that a system like that is hackable or can receive some sort of manipulation, right? I have my own belief regarding that, but that's, you know, beyond this conversation. And the problem that is the most pronounced is that there have been many ballot boxes um, of these machines where there were several votes for one candidate and zero votes for another candidate. And the actual um, statistical probability that this would happen in hundreds of them is something like one in a quintillion. I'm not even sure if that's a word, right? But um, you have the these electro sessions and then you have the actual, you know, machines. And the fact that several of these machines received up to 384 votes for one person and zero for another actually do raise an eyebrow. Um, and that is one of the things that are being, being brought up. Um, there are some people that actually have their voting receipts. They're going online to check, um, you know, the voting results. They can't see their individual vote, but they're checking the voting results and they are not finding um, their actual, you know, voting place on the website. That's also being raised. I don't know to which extent that's just a matter of, you know, um, administration of that being moved to another session and being reorganized. I don't know. But what I do know, and the reason why people should uh, take notice is that 
Um, these are statistical mathematical problems. So the question is being asked, why has this happened? And how, how is it happening, right? Um, and the Air, sorry, not the Air Force, but um, the, the Brazilian military is actually, has worked on a report. They've built this report and they will publish and deliver the report tomorrow. So Wednesday, the 9th of November, they're going to publicly come out with this report of their findings, of their investigation uh, regarding the, the past elections. Um, I've never seen anything like this happen in my 36 years of being Brazilian, and I have never seen such inconsistencies. So um, there's this belief that you know the, the new elected president um, being more left-wing um, will make things harder. There is, um, a, I guess, a softening of it because uh, Congress and the Senate are actually quite right-wing, uh, but it also begs the question why people have voted you know, uh, towards the right for the Senate and the Congress, but to the left for the presidency. So there, there's this you know, dilemma. Um, and there's the belief that he's either not going to be able to do very much because the opposition today is so much stronger than it has ever been. Uh, but there's also the fact that um, the election results might be seriously contested now from this military um, report that might come out. Uh, and it's all in the numbers, right? I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know for a fact that this is going to be an issue. Uh, but right now, people in Brazil, a large portion of people in Brazil do not have faith in the electoral system, in the actual structure. Beyond that, and what really concerns me as a citizen, is that there has been a massive um, censorship move towards um, certain personalities that were supporting, you know, the, the current president. And that to me is very scary because um, right before I was born, we were under dictatorship in Brazil. So you could not say what you thought um, during my whole life. It's been, you know, a free for all. You say whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. And now you see people like um, religious ministers, singers, um, elected officials um, and congressmen and senators being completely silenced and having their accounts um, suspended off Twitter, off, off Facebook, off YouTube, um, because they are posing the question. They're not saying this is fraudulent. We're not going to accept it. They're relaying, you know, uh, some numbers and saying what happened here. So that to me is very scary. Um, I don't have much of my portfolio in Brazil currently, and I would personally wait and see what happens because to me, this is all completely new territory and anything could happen. I was of the opinion that this was a nothing burger, um, but the way that things are going, uh, it could be a something burger for sure. Very fascinating. I, that, that's actually what I was going to ask you was the, the investment question as well. And I, I think your approach of waiting and seeing how things turn out is definitely the smartest way to go. Um, maybe you could lay out a couple scenarios for us in terms of how this might influence commodities in particular in Brazil, because I know uh, Lula has spoken quite passionately about, uh, you know, mining oil and all of these sorts of things in quite a negative light in terms of not wanting those things happening. 
Whereas, um, you know, generally people who are towards the right tend to be more um, open to resource extraction. So Bolsonaro would probably be better for the commodities complex overall, the, the extractive industries in Brazil. Would you agree with that sentiment? And, and how would you see things playing out if one or the other side ends up ultimately uh, retaining power or stepping into power in, in the case of the, the former president? Yeah, I, I agree with your statement. Uh, one thing that I think um, the general uh, electorate in Brazil has missed is that they're comparing the, the possibility of, you know, 2023 and, and beyond for the next four years to be um, the same as it was when Lula first came in. So when Lula first came in, um, Brazil caught the total move of uh, the commodity booms from 2003 up until 2011, right? And so during that time, Brazil did extremely well because it's a commodity-driven country. And because of that, it made no sense for them to um, actually hinder the progress of the extractive industries because that's uh, where the money was. And if you're a corrupt politician, you want that to, to happen in your country. You want things to be extracted because that's where the bribes come from. Let's, let's be honest here. That's, that's the way of the world. And there was still this sort of, um, I guess, uh, this propaganda about being tough on the extractive industries, but one hand is doing one thing. The other hand is doing something completely different. If you, if you know what I mean, um, and I think people are expecting the same moving forward. However, I wouldn't be so optimistic. Um, the people that are currently being appointed, you know, to the different ministries and different departments of the country are um, very extreme. And, and I mean, very extreme in, in the strongest sense. Uh, people who have a history of um, serious ties to communism. And I think that people in general are, you know, downplaying the, the fact that the, these people have um, no respect for private property. Again, it doesn't mean that it will come to play. And uh, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden Brazil is going to become Venezuela. Far from it. As I said, there is serious opposition and um, things will not be ignored this time around. However, this situation ex is extremely fragile because um, we've never lived the, this um, situation that we're living right now with these circumstances, with such a, a strong polarization of, of the left and the right and people in the middle not knowing really what they each stand for and just voting for the guy that promises them, you know, something. Um, and so I would, you know, Definitely wait and see um, and keep an eye out for things because one uh, of the things that happens that happened, I think, just two or three days ago is that um, Petrobras, the big oil company that is a partly public company, has a massive dividend payout coming soon. Um, I think it's 50 percent or something like that. And um, obviously, a lot of people bought into uh, the stock. Uh, however, the stock price has since you know, slid down quite a bit. Um, I think in part because uh, the president of the, the party that Lula is associated with, so the people that are going to come into power, maybe, um, come next January, has actually publicly said that the dividend of Petrobras should not be paid out. 
and should be reviewed and that, you know, this dividend payout is too much and that they weren't going to accept this level of uh, profit uh, back to shareholders, that they wanted the people of the people of Brazil to profit from Petrobras and not investors. And that is quite concerning because these people have a lot of power and the directorship of Petrobras is usually appointed by um, the people in power, the president and, you know, things of that nature. So it's quite eye-opening. Um, I think if if um, a massive crisis can be averted, there will be a lot of buying opportunities in Brazil because of this mess. The market hates uncertainty, as we all know. And this is another reason why. I mean, obviously, because it's very close to my heart. It's where I was, I was born and I still have tons of friends and family there. Um, but I think that you know, when we start seeing the skies clear out a little bit and we can see where we're headed, then I think there will be a lot of uh, investment investment opportunities because it comes back to what I said. You know, um, if your commodity is in high demand, um, Brazilians are quite practical. You know, let, let's do business, uh, whether we believe in the same thing or not. You know, everybody wants to make money. And so I believe there will be massive opp- opportunities, but I think we're in that period of time where nobody knows what the political um, state of the country will be even a week from now, never mind a, a year from now. Uh, but when we define that, then I think the opportunity is going to be, you know, quite strong. Well, definitely something to keep an eye on. So let's move from one crisis to another. Let's move over to Europe, where the emerging energy crisis seems to have hit a little bit of good luck with warming weather. Uh, It looks like it's going to be a warmer winter than normal. And a lot of uh, natural gas, liquid natural gas reserves were secured to the point where it actually dropped the the price in the short term for some time. Um, However, talk of next winter is already coming up. This is a temporary fix that has come in. And how do you see things developing there? Because it's very fascinating. You know, we have the, the recent news that Germany is, is trying hard to keep their three nuclear reactors that they were planning on shutting down, uh, keeping them online. You have strange developments like Olaf Scholz traveling to China to meet with Xi Jinping. What's that all about? Apparently, it didn't go well either. Um, I don't know if he was trying to secure, you know, commodities from them or, or, or what exactly the situation was. But how do you see things unfolding there? I mean, Germany seems to be the poster child of what not to do. Um, how, how do you think the chips are going to fall into place? Do you think ultimately it's going to come down to keeping people warm in the winter and making sure everybody's fed? Because, of course, there's a very big connection between food and energy. Um, do you think things will return to sanity at some point and the pendulum will maybe swing in the other direction? Or do you think we're going to see persistent problems for the foreseeable future? I do believe in the pendulum swinging back eventually. It's what I call the the fluff to fur economy, where fluff was, we're buying NFTs for two million bucks and the the fur is like, okay, we absolutely need oil and coal and gas in order to just survive. Like we need warmth and we need to survive as a species. Therefore, let's, you know, stop with the nonsense. Let's let's not invest in, in growth stocks and growth stories and, um, you know, bikes with massive iPads on them. Let's go back to what we need. Uh, however, that comes at a cost. And I see, and 
bear in mind, I am no energy expert. I'm a private investor. And so I'm just trying to make my own decisions uh, of where to allocate my, my own resources. The, the way that I see this is that this is actually a, a massive um, opportunity for people who have not yet entered the energy play. Because what happens in the, especially in the natural gas market, from my limited understanding, is that the actual um, storage capacity is very, very low compared to what we expect to use every year, every quarter, whatever. Um, my belief is that about a third of uh, Germany's natural gas uh, usage can be stored right in, in their current infrastructure. And so that's, you know, pretty much full. Well done to them. It did come at a cost and a lot of people have made a lot of money from that first bump. And uh, you have a lot of price weakness because they cannot store it. The same thing happened with oil in, was it 2020 or 2021 when it went negative? Um, I see, you know, something very similar with natural gas and it's not that um, we have plenty and it's easy to get and the infrastructure is there to serve the, the population long term. I don't see that happening. I don't see CapEx on anything to do with energy right now. Like <laughs> you go and, and look at natural gas, you look at oil, you look at um, nuclear and everybody's just waiting for the other side to blink. Right. Nobody is building or expanding capacity, capacity massively. And so until we see that, I think energy in general, natural gas, oil, uh, uranium, etc., that's all very much into play. But obviously, if um, you're a short term trader, then you've probably caught that move and you're out of it. And um, I think now is the time to start looking at energy if you haven't done so already there's a lot of money on the sidelines and i hate saying that but it is true and um, i think people will realize that yes okay maybe we we might be okay so far for this winter um but what happens next winter and next winter and next winter and a, a lot of things are happening in europe you know regarding the population being very upset with the fact that they're having to uh you know pay prices that have never been seen um, in part, not fully, but in part because of what's happening in Ukraine and, and Russia and people aren't going to take it anymore. Human beings are extremely simple in my point of view. We just want to have a little bit of health, wealth and, you know, well-being. Like we just want to do well and anything that cuts through that and, you know, slows us down we will stand up and, and rise against it, so to speak, to varying levels of, of degree, depending on how serious it is and how quickly it comes. And a lot of uh, European Union countries are starting to have, you know, real conflict. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is a probably a, a good entry point by an opportunity for people who understand that longer term. Uh, we still need a lot of oil. We still need natural gas. I mean, Germany, for goodness sake, they are tearing down um, their renewables in order to expand their coal plants. How bizarre is that? You know, a country that does not really want to um, continue with their nuclear program. I mean, it's clean uh, energy and, and the infrastructure is there. The knowledge is there. And um, I think that for a long time and for a long time, what I mean is, you know, for the, the past you know, two to three decades, we've been blinded 
by this sort of um, ideology uh, that has completely infiltrated governments. It has completely infiltrated the media. And, and you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, theorist or anything like that, but you have to stop and think, okay, people are actually hurting, right? Um, people are going to, you know, uh, not be able to pay their bills. They're not going to be able to feed their families in the same way that they were before, uh, and this is mostly because of decisions that have been made for them, you know, from high above uh, that had nothing to do with uh, practical life, right? It had everything to do with a belief um, that hasn't really uh, been proven to be right so far. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of pain, I think, happening right now. Um, and I, I think this is going to continue, um, especially across Europe. Uh, but you can only irritate people so long before they stand up and say enough is enough. If we need, if we need these sources of energy, let's go get them. Yeah, I think radical political ideology and energy policy aren't exactly the best mix. But that's kind of what we're seeing across the board right now. So it's kind of disheartening. But I, I'm kind of optimistic for the future as well. I think the pendulum will swing. I think these leaders we're already seeing Germany burn tons of coal, including dirty coal, which which makes no sense at all. But let's move to the cleanest baseload form of power and what I believe is the greatest form of energy on planet Earth, and that is nuclear, um, powered by uranium. When looking at the landscape of the uranium markets right now, I'd like to first get your answer on what do you see as the main tailwinds currently in place as we sit here today for the thesis? Um, and then also, what do you think it's going to take to bring widespread institutional investment into the uranium space? Um, what, what do you think it's going to take for the hedge funds, the pension funds, the big funds to really step in because that could create a, a dramatic price move to the upside? I think the generalists will come to answer your second question. Um, naturally, as long as um, companies can, can sort of uh, cross the chasm, right? So in the startup world, there's this notion that uh, you can get to a certain point of growth in users, um, but then if you can't cross a magic number that nobody really knows what that is, then you die, right? Or if you can actually cross that number, then you go on to be much, much bigger than you could ever imagine. Um, I think regarding that, because there's so much money in the world sloshing around, uh, the fact that chemical um, is expanding, let's, so, you know, let's just put it like that, expanding um, their market cap with their M&A transaction, that to me is very bullish because it means that they're even bigger, they're more diversified, they are getting into um, a, a, the business of uh, not only you know extracting the uranium from the ground, but actually processing it, and there's a lot of money in that. The industry is um, actually you know uh, very positive right now for anything that happens after extracting extracting the uranium out of the ground, um, and the outlook for that going forward for the next at least fifteen to twenty years is extremely bullish, and I think that that was a good step in the right direction which I think naturally will attract a lot of institutional investors uh, because it's simply a large enough company and in a liquid, a liquid, not illiquid, but <laughs> a liquid enough uh, company that institutions can put their money in. Um, and yeah, th that's my view. I 
don't think that it's bearish that Cameco is going into different places. Um, I think it's bearish for the people who were holding, you know, certain um, large scale projects that they wish was bought out by Cameco and everybody's been sort of crossing their fingers and expecting for a takeover bit. It hasn't pan out. They have, I have certain knowledge that they, they've been following the story uh, since the very beginning before you and I ever heard of, um, you know, uh, big uranium being found in the Athabasca Basin. They already knew it because they were already there at the other side of the basin. Um, and they haven't made their move regarding buying more pounds in the ground, right? So they were kind of signaling to the market, you know, we're not interested, uh, at least for now. We're not interested in, in buying more of the mining stuff. And they were, you know, sitting on more and more cash. Um, and I think this this move should attract uh, institutional investors in due time. Um, but the, the thing that really excites me about Uranium right now, answering your first question, is... The contracting cycle has begun, and, and I feel like we're in the first uh, few seconds of this race. As per, you know, Chemical, um, they're coming out with um, news releases, you know, left and right and saying, you know, we're contracting this, we're contracting that. The terms are hush-hush, uh, but they're, they're, we've already crossed 100 million pounds uh, being contracted this year so far, and we're still in November. So I don't know what the situation will be from now until the end of the year, but that's massively bullish. And this is the beginning of contract of the contracting cycle, right? So um, back, I believe, in you know 2011, when uh, right before Fukushima happened, there was you know a contracting cycle that um, had actually pushed the price to a more um, amenable level uh, after you know the crash of 07 and i think it was kind of hovering above you know 60 dollars or, or something between 60 and 65 um and then fukushima happened you know it kind of canceled everything but inventories are very low historically and utilities are finally coming to the table. The Chinese, who, by the way, waste no time for better or worse, they have come to the table and they're starting to contract. And don't forget, the Chinese are actually expanding their nuclear fleet by a large, large number. And so this is all very bullish for uranium. That story that we used to hear many years ago of, you know, when this happens, uranium will fly. When that happens, uranium will fly. Um, a lot more than what we imagined back then is already happening right now. Um, and I am very bullish. I am not, um, you know, selling uranium. I sell uranium to buy more uranium. I want to get out of 100% uranium in my portfolio. Um, and I probably will be buying, you know, some some oil stocks and some gold stocks going forward. But it's very di difficult for me to find something that fundamentally is happening right now, but the price hasn't caught up with it yet. Um, and people complain. People have, who have been in this trade are not happy with what they're seeing, you know, in in their in their developers, for instance, um, or even in the spot price. However, that's what makes a market. You know, the fact that you're saying that something is more valuable um, and it is due to be more valuable in the next few months uh, versus what the price shows, like that is how you invest, right? You see this disconnect 
And then you make a vote. What do you think is going to happen next? And if you think that the fundamentals will actually be reflected in the price because the supply and demand imbalance will show more and more, then you place your bet and you wait. And people aren't usually as patient as as me or some other folks that have been in this trade for a long time. Um, uh, all I have to say is just look at the fundamentals, guess, try to guess what happens next and just act accordingly. Yes, and you've been investing in uranium since 2014 when it was really, 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 really out of favor. I mean, e- even even today, you know, we have a, a pretty robust community on Twitter for uranium, but the mainstream financial news shows aren't talking about uranium. I was talking to my friend Patrick Karim the other day, and he said, you know, someday there's going to be a Michael Saylor for uranium. It's going to be some guy with green uranium eyes, and he's going to be talking about mortgage your house and buy uranium and all this sort of stuff. And he said, when we get there, then you'll know we're, we're, we're getting somewhere near the top, but we're not even anywhere close yet. So I'm, I'm also very bullish. I want to switch over to gold equities now because you touched on that and we also spoke before recording. You thought gold equities were looking very undervalued these days. Um, Did you want to expand on that and and let us know how you're approaching that sector? Sure. So what I've started to look at, and if anybody here has, you know, a good gold stock that they're looking at, please comment below because we like that kind of engagement and we like to always learn about new stories. There are a lot of gold companies and I couldn't possibly keep on top of all of them. Uh, But what I'm starting to see is my basic bread and butter. I like early stage development companies to late stage discoveries. So a company that has um, pounds in the ground, or I I say pounds in the ground because of uranium, right? So ounces in the ground and they're sitting on um, conservative NPVs that are much, much larger than the current market cap, um, especially if they're sitting on a good amount of money and they won't need to come to the market, you know, because coming to the market right now might not be a great deal unless you want to offer a private placement, uh, you know, to myself and, and other people with five-year warrants. And then in that case, I'm all for raising money, obviously, to get to get the cheap goods. Uh but in general, I see, you know, quite a number of companies with resources um, that are in all sorts of jurisdictions. However, their market caps do not reflect um, the value that they have in the ground. They reflect the, um, I guess, disbelief and lack of patience uh, that, you know, people have right now in the markets. And I mean, at the end of the of the day, you have all sorts of um, moments in the market, right? And so the the bigger issue in the market that I see right now is that I don't see any new entrants. I don't see new people right now coming into gold. I don't see new people coming into silver. I don't even see many people coming into uranium right now. It's all, you know, the same club that was here six months ago at the very minimum. And... That doesn't stay like that forever. I know it feels like that right now, but um, I have a feeling that the the sentiment in the market is very similar to what we had in late 2015 um, in the gold and silver markets. Um, People were throwing in the towel. And then especially in Canada, you have, you know, people selling off this period because of tax loss uh, selling harvesting. And then you get amazing opportunities to buy now and you know 
in 2016, if people want to look it up, you just pick any um, decent gold company and you'll see that they tripled or more within maybe six months or something like that. It was, you know, quite the rally. Uh, I see the, sa the same sort of sentiment. Obviously, because I almost feel like we're living in a time of crisis and gold has not behaved in the way that many people would have expected, um, that the disbelief in gold companies as a result of that may be warranted. Um, but we know that gold is still very expensive to pull out of the ground and you don't see um, costs getting any lower. And we do know that the market every now and again gets very, very tough and then it gets very, very loose. And that's that's the bet that I'm going to start to, start to make towards the end of this year is to um, get into gold stocks. And I like them to not be completely um, new, like pre-discovery. I like for them to, to be able to have proven something up. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Fabi. It's been an amazing conversation. For those who want to hear more from you, uh, where should they go online? Sure. Um, they can go either to my YouTube channel, The Next Big Rush, or they can follow me on Twitter, at The Next Big Rush. Great. Well, awesome having you on and look forward to talking to you again and hopefully continuing the conversation. Pleasure's all mine, Jesse. Thank you. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.